You know, it's one thing to sing, be thou my vision. It's another thing to say, okay, I will allow that vision to be my vision, and I will act accordingly. And as we, we've been going through Hebrews and the chapter of faith, we're seeing how God's vision has really infused these great men and women of old as they've stepped out in obedience and actually taken that vision and moved forward with us. This morning, after having looked at uh, Abel and Enoch and, and Noah, and then last week at Abraham, as God called Abraham out of paganism, giving him a promise that he would never see, but who put his faith in God and who was immediately obedient, we now come to these next three verses in Hebrews chapter 11 that I'm going to read uh, briefly. And they talk about Isaac. Jacob and Joseph. In verses 20 to 22 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of, his jo- each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Now, when I looked at those, I thought, what does all that mean and why? (laughs) What am I going to talk about here? Uh, And it it actually became quite interesting. These three patriarchs take up a big majority of the book of Exodus. It goes from chapter 20 all the way to chapter 15 of Genesis. I said Exodus, Genesis. These statements about them are very short, very cryptic, And kind of hard to understand if you don't know the full story. Now, we're not going to read 30 chapters of Genesis this morning. But we need to remember that this book was written to the Jews who were very familiar with all the details of the sagas of these men from the Old Testament times. And it was critical for the writer of Hebrews to communicate to his readers that the only way of salvation, and we've talked about this a number of times, The only way to salvation was by faith. That's the most important message the world has ever heard. Salvation is by faith alone, by grace through faith, and not by works. Scripture makes that clear. It's always been that way from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And we've seen how chapter 11 of Hebrews is a listing of people who were reconciled to God, not by works, but by their faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And that's what we've seen in the lives of Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham, and now Isaac, Jacob, Joseph fall into that same category. But what the writer of Hebrews is pointing out is that these three men demonstrated their faith in the face of death. It was Isaac who blessed Jacob and Esau, being very aware of his coming death. It's Jacob, as he was dying, that passed on the blessing to Joseph. And Joseph, as he was dying, that passed on the promise to Israel, the promise that has not yet been fulfilled. Faith faces its greatest test in the hours of death, particularly when one has not experienced the fulfillment of the promise. Abraham died without ever receiving the promise that God had given to him. Isaac died without ever having received the promise of God that was passed down to him. 
And so did Jacob, and so did Joseph, and so did all the rest of the people that the writers of Hebrews wrote about in the entire chapter. Down in verse 39 of Hebrews 11, it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. This doesn't seem quite fair, does it? They all died before the promise was fulfilled. They all died before the Messiah came. They all died before the promised kingdom came. Before all the promises that were given originally in the Abrahamic covenant, yet their faith never wavered. What an example for us. Matthew Henry wrote many years ago, a commentator, Though the grace of faith is of universal use throughout all of our lives, is especially so when we come to die. Faith has its great work to do at the last, to help believers to finish well, to die in the Lord as to honor Him by patience, hope, and joy, so as to leave a witness behind them of the truth of God's Word and the excellencies of His ways. We need to leave a legacy of faith to those who are going to follow us. Now, the lives of these men were pretty messy, at times scandalous. But even with all the weaknesses that marked the lives of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they died in the faith. They died in confidence that the promise would be fulfilled, even though they had not received it. And that's why they appear among the heroes of faith. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 12, uh, just a moment. Uh, This is where God calls Abraham. We touched on it last week. He's going to make him a great nation, namely the Jewish Jewish people who will be the people group who will receive the word of God and who will have the responsibility to preserve it and to pass it down and proclaim it. And Abraham is told to leave his country, leave his relatives, leave the home of his father. And it says, I will make you, God says, into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now that is what's known as the Abrahamic covenant. It's a promise of a land and a kingdom and blessing, which includes salvation. Now, if we go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, it tells us all these people were still living by faith when when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Now, why were they able to keep on going just by faith? Because verse 16 says they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They knew that, just like we know through scriptures, the heavenly country that is awaiting uh, us, they knew that back there in the Old Testament times as well. And so they persevered in their face, and because they persevered, God was not ashamed to be called their God. You know, we today are so tied to the immediate, aren't we? Get it done. Let's get it done now. So often, if we don't receive what we ask for immediately, it's so easy to begin to doubt. Elizabeth Elliot once wrote, does our faith rest on having prayers answered as we think they should be answered, 
Or does it rest on that mighty love that went down into death for us? Is our faith on Jesus? Or is our faith on things that we think Jesus ought to be doing for us? Now, these patriarchs did not, didn't die in the despair of unfulfilled dreams, but in the confident hope that a promise is a promise and would be truly fulfilled because it had come from God and God's word is always true. Now, in Abel, we saw the life of faith. In Enoch, we saw the walk of faith. In, uh, in Noah, we saw the work of faith. In Abraham, we saw the great example of faith. And here uh, this morning, we see the triumph of faith as it faces death. Now, when God made his covenant with Abraham, he also made a covenant with Abraham's children and descendants. God makes that very clear to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, excuse me, verse 7. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations, plural, to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So this was not only for Abraham and his immediate family. This was to go down through his line. And that's why the writer of Hebrews focuses on these three descendants of Abraham, his direct descendants, one, two, three. His son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, and his great-grandson Joseph. All three of these descendants of Abraham demonstrated their faith by trusting God with the future, even as they neared the end of their lives. I believe that each of them has something specific to teach us about trusting God with our future as well. And that's kind of what I want to focus on this morning. The writer of Hebrews starts by looking at Abraham's son, Isaac. The lesson of faith we learn from Isaac has to do with trusting God with our children's future. Look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Isaac, actually, in Scripture. We know that God appeared to Isaac and reaffirmed his covenant with Isaac and with Isaac's descendants. We know that Isaac married Rebekah and that Rebekah was barren, just like Isaac's mother Sarah was barren. We know that Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of Rebekah and the Lord answered his prayer when the time came, uh, she, she became pregnant with twin boys. And when they were born, Esau was born first, and Jacob right behind him, hanging on to the heel of his brother as, as they uh, were, were uh, birthed. What we find, however, is that God chose Jacob, the one hanging on to the heel, over Esau before they were even born. Now it's true that Esau was the firstborn. And as the older brother, you would expect that the writer of Hebrews, when he's writing all, all these things, would put Esau in front of Jacob because he's the firstborn. But instead he writes, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Now that's both significant and purposeful or intentional. When, when Jacob and Esau were still in Rebekah's womb, you'll remember we're told in Genesis 25-22 that the twin boys jostled each other. Okay, you know... The, Babies always kick, right? But looking at the Hebrew word that's used, that's translated in the NIV as jostled, I think it's actually much more than jostling that's going on there in her womb. The word ratzatz literally means to crack in pieces, literally or figuratively. Break, 
bruise, crush, discourage, oppress, struggle together. So I think there is this battle going on in poor Rebecca. So much so that she sensed that something unusual was happening here. And so she went to God and, and asked him about it. And listen to, to the Lord's answer in verse 23. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. God, in his sovereignty, chose a younger son, Jacob, instead of Esau, to carry on his promise to Abraham. However, we also read in Genesis that as the boys grew older, Isaac preferred his son Esau over Jacob. Scripture tells us that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, parents, we're not supposed to play favorites, right? We're supposed to love everybody equally. Yeah, we treat our children differently depending on their age, depending on the level of their responsibility, depending on their personality, but we all are, ought to love each one equally. Isaac and Rebekah both made the mistake of playing favorites, and it had consequences throughout their lives, which we'll see in a moment. Now we come to the blessing of these two boys that Hebrews talks about. The actual blessing takes place Two chapters later, when Isaac gives Esau's blessing to Jacob. In the first four verses of Genesis 27, we we find that when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son. That's normal. In order to give Esau his blessing before he died. Now, it's important to understand that the blessing Isaac was about to give was much more than just wishing his son well in the future. Isaac's blessing was part prophecy and part prayer. The blessing was part prophecy because the patriarchs were also function as prophets. The prophets had not come on the scene yet, which means that they spoke words of God to men. And so the words of prophecy they spoke would take place. This was God's word that was coming through through them. And the blessing was part prayer in that Isaac was depending on God to come on through and provide that blessing as he promised. Now the blessing rightfully belonged um, to Esau. This would have made a huge difference in the life of Esau because he was the older son. And so it's actually normal that Isaac would want to give this blessing to his eldest son. That's, that's a normal cultural thing to do. But as we've already seen, God had already said that the blessing was going to go to Jacob, and that Jacob, not Esau, would carry on the promises that God had made. Now, we, we don't know whether Rebekah ever shared God's word about Jacob with Isaac or not. Scripture doesn't tell us. But if she did, then it's hard to see how Isaac was really operating in faith here if he decided, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Was he deliberately going against God's prophecy and and giving the blessing to his favorite son instead of Jacob? Or was he acting in ignorance? He hadn't heard through his wife. The Bible doesn't tell us, so we don't know what the scenario there is. But it could have been that Rebecca assumed that Isaac would have none of it. I mean, it's his favorite. It's the oldest son, and so that's how it's going to be. 
What we do know is that Rebekah and Jacob conspired together to take matters into their own hands to make sure that happened. And so they deceived Isaac into giving the blessing to Jacob rather than Esau. You remember the story there in Genesis 27 where Rebekah concocted this plan and got Jacob to go along with it. Now, Isaac was virtually blind as, as we read. He could, not, he could not see. Maybe there were shadows, but that's about all that he, he could see at that point. So she made this meat stew that Esau usually made to give to Dan. And because Esau was so hairy, this, this guy must have been really hairy. Because she, she took goat skins, put it on uh, Jacob's arms and uh, around his neck and stuff, so that as his dad felt him, he would think it was Esau, and dressed him in Esau's clothes, so that when dad got close, they smelled Esau rather than smelling Jacob. But this showed a great lack of faith, did it not, on the part of Rebekah and Jacob? Because if they had only left the situation in God's hands... God would have brought the blessing to Jacob without all the deception on their part because that was his plan. He said this is what he was going to do. I'm sure he had a much better way to do it. So often we think we know what should be done, so we want to try to help God get it done. And we end up messing things up because we're not following God. But we're rather stepping out in front of God and doing things our way. So hard to be patient, isn't it? And unfortunately, their deception of Isaac concerning the blessing would rip the family apart with anger and with fear and resentful for many years down the road. There were serious consequences to their actions. In fact, Jacob fled and separated from his family for years because Esau was so angry. Jacob thought that Esau was actually going to kill him. And yet in Hebrews 11.20, it tells us, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. So, so what, what sense did Isaac bless his sons in faith? Well, even though Isaac didn't intend to give Esau's blessing to Jacob, once it happened, he had no doubt that God will fulfill the blessing in Jacob's life. It was a done deal. In fact, once he learned what had happened, he told Esau concerning Jacob, because remember, Esau said, Dad, give me some blessing. I should have had that. He said, I blessed him, and indeed, he will be blessed. Isaac recognized that God had chosen to bless Jacob, and so he could not reverse or change God's plan. If you remember, Esau actually had given away his, that primary blessing to his brother anyway, when he was starving to death one day. And again, Jacob in his conniving sold his food for the birthright. So Isaac could only give Esau a secondary blessing anyway. But even though Esau received the lesser blessing, Isaac still fully believed that God would fulfill that blessing in Esau's life as well, which he did, both in Esau and in Jacob. So in faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, and in faith, he accepted God's will for his sons as expressed through those blessings. Now, if part of faith is trusting God with the future, the lesson that we need to be learning, then one of the lessons we can learn from Isaac is to trust God with our children's future. That's an important lesson for us. 
Because as, as you well know, as, as a parent, we waste a lot of time and energy worrying about our children and their future, do we not? Does that mean that we, need, we just need to stop praying for them? Ah, God will take care of them? No. We need to be praying for them. We need to stop worrying about them, however. Because part of Christian faith is learning to trust God with our children's future instead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. So how can we bless our children with regard to their future? Well, unlike the patriarchs of Israel, you and I are not prophets. We don't get to speak prophetic words of blessing into our children's lives. We can, however, still speak prayers of blessings upon them on their behalf, or we speak words of blessings to them. Scripture is full of blessings that we can pray for our children and and speak those blessings to them. We also bless our children in regard to their future when we raise them to uh, to know God and His Word and to walk in His ways. As a parent, we absolutely want the best for our children, and we ought to. We want to see them succeed and do well. Our hearts ache when we see them struggling and in trouble. And we want to fix it, don't we? So want to fix it. But in the long run, we need to entrust them to God. And part of that process is when we bring bring the infants to the altar and we dedicate them to the Lord, we're saying, God, you've given me this child as a gift. I'm going to do my best. I need your help and I need you to work in, in my child. Then we have the responsibility to raise them in the training and instruction of the Lord. And, uh, and we need to set for them then an example in our own lives of godliness and righteousness for them to follow. And encourage them with our love and support. But eventually, we have to let them go and trust God and keep praying for them. So part of growing in faith is learning to trust God with our children's future. Secondly, we, we look at Jacob in the next word, uh, verse and we need to learn to trust God rather than trying to control people or events. Now, Jacob was Abraham's grandson. Abraham was 160 years old when Jacob was born. And when Abraham lived, uh, excuse me, Abraham lived another 15 years after he was born. So he, he saw his grandson growing up in those first 15 years of his life. Look at verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying... Blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Trusting God rather than trying to control people or events. Not always easy to do. It's a difficult lesson for anyone to learn, and it was, I think, especially difficult for Joseph, or excuse me, for Jacob. In many ways, it took him his whole life to learn. Remember, Jacob was born into this world holding on to his brother's heel. And that really became a metaphor for his whole life. Jacob would spend most of the rest of his life grasping for control. When his older brother Esau came, came in hungry from hunting one day, Jacob quickly took advantage of that situation and manipulated his brother into selling him his birthright for a pot of stew. When Isaac was preparing to give the blessing to Esau, Jacob deliberately deceived his own father into giving him the blessing instead. And over and over again, we see Jacob trying to manipulate, deceive, control, instead of trusting God to take care of the situation. 
This incident that the writer of Hebrews relates took place right at the end of Jacob's life. Jacob's son Joseph had two sons of his own, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim was the younger son. Manasseh was the older. We've just seen how Isaac gave Esau's, the oldest son's, blessing to Jacob, the younger son. Well, now Jacob gives Manasseh's blessing, the older son, to Ephraim, the younger son. Again, Jacob, the master manipulator and controller, was dying. You know, there are a few times in our life when we have less control than we're dying, right? Once we die, we lose all power to influence, control other people and events. And you would think that for someone who has spent a lot of his life trying to control others, that such a situation would have left Jacob frustrated and and bitter. But Jacob had learned, as we all need to learn, and he had grown in his faith. And he learned some valuable lessons about faith over, over the years. And rather than being a frustrated and bitter man, we find a peaceful, trusting, worshipful Joseph, or Jacob, excuse me, at the end of his life. The writer of Hebrews said, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. He was at peace, and he was worshiping God. Now, you remember the story back in Genesis chapter 47 that when Joseph brings his two sons to Jacob to be blessed, Joseph is careful to put Manasseh, the older son, next to Jacob's right hand, and Ephraim next to Jacob's left hand. That way, Jacob's right hand would go on Manasseh's head because he's the oldest son. He's the one that should get that blessing. So what's going on here? Joseph, uh, when the time comes, he actually crosses his hands over and puts his right hand over on the younger son, his left hand over on the older son. Joseph is not happy about this. He actually grabs Jacob. All the J's. Grabbed his, his hand, tried to get it off, and put it on his oldest son's head. But Jacob refused. So what's what's going on here? Was Jacob still trying to manipulate and control? No, I don't think so. He had received a word from God that Ephraim should receive the greater blessing. And Jacob had learned to stop fighting with God. Hmm. Maybe that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Have I stopped fighting with God? The final picture we have here of Jacob in Hebrews 11.21 is of him peacefully leaning on his staff, worshiping God even as he prepares to die. Are we like Jacob most of our lives? Struggling? Trying to control? You know, one of the reasons that we have all this stuff, the good, bad, and the ugly, in Scripture is to learn from mistakes so that we don't have to do them as well. God is in control, and we need to learn to trust Him. There were a number of things in the lives of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph over which they had absolutely no control at all. For starters, all all three of their mothers were barren. It's true. Isaac's mother Sarah was barren, Jacob's mother Rebecca was barren, and Joseph's mother Rachel was barren. In other words, these three men humanly speaking, should never have been born. And if you have little control when you're dying, you have absolutely no control 
when you haven't yet been born, especially if your mother is barren. The second area where, where all three lacked control was the fact that none of them were the firstborn sons of their fathers. And so humanly speaking, once again, none of them should have received the birthright of the eldest son. But God in His sovereignty gave special blessings to each of them. Faith means trusting God with the future. God knows what He is doing. And that means trusting God rather than trying to control people and events. You know, in a very small sense, an incident like that took place at Dexter Days just a week ago. You know, we had been given a plot for our tent in one location, number 21. Looking on the map, it's going to be a whole lot cooler. There are going to be trees there, but a whole lot more comfortable uh, for us. But then we were unexpectedly repositioned, number 61. But rather than getting upset about it and trying to control where we should be, where we wanted to be, where they said we, we were going to be, we trusted God in His placement. And He places out in the middle of the blazing sun. It was hot on Friday. But where we were able to better bless people with cold water and popsicles. God always knows what He's doing. We come to the third example that we find in Hebrews as, as we wrap up here. Abraham's grandson, Joseph. And the, reason of faith we, the, the lesson of faith we learn from Joseph has to do with trusting God to fulfill his larger purpose and plan for the world. Now, the lessons of faith that we learn from Isaac and Jacob concerned the future, concerning the future were more personal in nature. Their faith related directly to themselves, their children, their immediate descendants. But Joseph's lesson of faith concerning the future is more broad-based and far-reaching. His faith looked forward over 400 years into the future to God's fulfillment of the next stage of his plan for his people Israel. Joseph speaks about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. In verse 22, we read, "...by faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt." and gave instructions about his bones. It's kind of bizarre. Now, the exodus he mentions was God's great deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt under the leadership of Moses. For the rest of Israel's history as a nation, they look back to this great act of God's redemption on their behalf. This was critical. This was paramount. Even today, this is the central event which Jewish people remember to celebrate every year at Passover. The Exodus was a vital part of God's overall plan of redemption, which finds its ultimate fulfillment, of course, in the sending of God's Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. Now, most Israelites throughout history have spoken of Exodus in the past tense. But Joseph spoke about the Exodus in the future. The book of Genesis tells us that Joseph lived to be about 110 years old and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children before he died. And so Joseph was near the end of his life when he spoke about the Exodus. And it's interesting because the word translated spoke in the NIV here in verse 22 is really a word that means to remember to make mention of, to call something to mind. 
Now, of course, that raises the question, how could Joseph remember something that wouldn't happen for another 400 years? Well, the answer is fairly simple. Joseph was remembering what God had spoken to his great-grandfather, Abraham, so many years before. God told Abraham back in Genesis 15, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. So, As Joseph neared the end of his life, he gathered his brothers together and he reminded them of God's larger plan. He told them in Genesis 50, verse 24, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, Joseph believed God's promise. And he spoke to his brothers about that exodus 400 years before it actually happened. And as we wrap up this morning, there's one last thing that the writer of Hebrews mentions here, and that is that Joseph gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. I thought, well, I don't even talk about that. That's weird. But we find these instructions in Genesis right after Joseph reminds his brothers about the future exodus. We read in uh, 25th verse of uh, chapter 50 of Genesis, Joseph made the sons of Israel swear on oath, and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. His instructions. Now it's interesting to contrast Joseph with Jacob here. When Joseph's father Jacob was dying, Jacob instructed his sons to bring him back to Canaan after he died and to bury him in the same cave where Abraham and Sarah were buried, where Isaac and Rebekah were buried as well. And they did that. In fact, Joseph uh, got special permission from Pharaoh to make that happen. But when Joseph was dying, he was so confident. He was so confident that God would fulfill his larger plan that he didn't even bother to ask about being buried in Canaan right after he died. Instead, he basically told the Israelites, you know what, When, when God delivers you from Egypt, not if, but when, In 400 years, you can just take my bones then and rebury me back in Canaan. Because that's what's going to happen. Joseph could wait on his own burial because he trusted God's larger purpose and plan for the world. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. He had no doubt And just like Joseph, we always need to keep the big picture in mind. God's plan does include you and I and our immediate life and our family. But it's also so much bigger than just you and I. When we see a world gone crazy and it looks like everything is falling apart around us, we need to remember that God is still in control. We need to trust God to fulfill his plan. An author by the name of Richard Phillips, writing about God's plan in relationship to these particular men, says this, Isaac sought to give the blessing to Esau, but God's plan overruled. Joseph lined up his sons before his father, only to watch Jacob cross his arms. 
Years later, Pharaoh would determine to hold Israel in slavery, yet God's people would carry out Joseph's body in the Exodus. Nothing can change or thwart God's will and plan. Isn't that an amazing truth for us to stand on? Part of trusting God with the future is trusting God to fulfill his larger purpose and plan for us, for our church, and for the world. Do we tend to worry about the future? Do we worry about our children? Do we try to control things in order to manipulate the the future? Do we tend to despair over the worsening condition in the world? God says, don't worry. Have faith. Trust me. We can't control the future. Only God can. As we put up in our prelude time this morning, Corey Ten Boom said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Isn't that good? God is in control and he has good plans for us. He says to us in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you. He already knows them, declares the Lord. Plans what? To prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Can we trust God? We need to trust God. Father, this morning we thank you that you are God Almighty, the great I Am, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the controller of the universe, because it's all yours. Your plans will not, cannot be thwarted. We mess things up sometimes, but you still work all things together for good, according to your will, according to what you want to accomplish. And Father, I pray in our own personal lives that we would take that into consideration when we worry about things, when we worry about tomorrow and next week and next year and and beyond, when we worry about what's happening with our children, when we worry about what's happening in our country, when we worry about what's happening in our world, It's easy to get discouraged and despondent even at times. But Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will remind us to look to you because you are blessing us. You have a wonderful plan, plans to prosper, not to harm. And Father, I thank you that you are a God who is in control. Help us to walk in your steps and walk in those plans. In Jesus' name. Amen.